Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the PTBC Podcast. This is Sarusha, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Slava. Hey, everyone. So this week, we have a very special guest coming all the way from Los Angeles, bringing a great amount of experience inside and outside of the healthcare industry. The CEO of a company that recently secured $2 million of funding from private angel investors. Let's welcome Scott Marcaccio. As co-founder and CEO of MyoDetox, Scott has been involved in a movement to change the rehab industry, starting from humble beginnings, moving into the telecommunications industry and working as an executive. Scott was able to propel himself into the rehab industry and become an icon, helping to bring a fresh perspective to what it means on being a corporate rehab company. We're extremely excited to have some time to chat with the man himself and learn about how his unconventional style has resulted in a wealth of innovation and impact on this industry. So without further ado, let's get down to business. Scott, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I am awesome. Thank you for that over-the-top intro. That was uh, (laughs) was great. I am doing well. How are you guys? We're doing great. Thank you so much for coming on. Now, uh, we usually want to also give some time to our uh, guests to also intro themselves a little bit about how their journey has led them to where they are today. So I know you have a very interesting journey, especially how you met Vin and um, how you partnered with them. So do you mind giving us a little bit of a brief uh, overview of that journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Vin and I met end of 2014. Um, previous Maudie talks, I was working, as you mentioned in the intro, in the telecom space, um, was loving my job. I was actually helping a European uh, business from Scandinavia expand into Canada. So I was dealing a lot with uh, fiber optics and wireless infrastructure and uh, stuff a little bit alien to healthcare. But in an earlier life, I'd been a personal trainer and you know, I'd studied trigger point therapy and all this sort of stuff that was really, uh, you know, I was always really into biology and uh, understanding the body. And as I was kind of building my telecom career, my hobby at the time was Olympic weightlifting. And I started beating myself up. Um, and, you know, seven, eight years into a, a weightlifting career, I was having a lot of nagging injuries. And, you know, on a pretty regular basis with seeing therapists, mm-hmm. um, ended up getting to a point where I was having chronic QL pain. I tore some SI ligaments, you know, herniated discs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it got to a point where it just wasn't going away. Uh, a mutual friend and I, Sorry, or rather a mutual friend connected Ben and I one night, um, said, you have to go see this guy. He's the best therapist I know. He'll fix you. And I'm like, cool. I was, you know, <laughs> I was a little bit skeptic at that point because I'd been probably seen seven or eight therapists and spent a lot of uh, money at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So anyways, I, I text Ben, I think it's midnight on a, a Tuesday or Wednesday night. He texts me back right away. And then immediately I think this is a little bit strange. I've never had an interaction where a therapist has been you know, <laughs> texting me at midnight. Um, however, he's like, I can see you tomorrow coming at one. And I'm like, awesome. Let's make it happen. I show up for my first appointment and the address he gave me was a barber shop. And <laughs> so I show up and I'm double checking. Do I have the right address? And I'm kind of looking in the windows are dark and the door is locked. And he's like, Oh, I'm coming. I'm coming. So he, he comes down, he opens the door and he looks like he just woke up and he's holding a, a sugar-free Red Bull. And he's like, oh, like I'm I'm ready. And, uh, you know, that was my first impression of Ben. It was just this, you know, so laid back and was wearing a backwards hat, had his Red Bull. And, 
it turned out that the clinic was actually on top of the barbershop and you had to walk through the barbershop and go up the stairs to get to the clinic. And at the time, you know, I, I say the word clinic, but it was actually a, a two bedroom condo uh, in City Place, which is still where we have our original clinic. Um, if you want to go see that. But they, um, you know, I think the last thing that, that caught me as we were walking up the stairs was he seemed to be like limping. And I was kind of questioning and I asked him like, what's, what's going on? And he looks down and he's like, oh, I just bought these Jordans and they're so fresh, they cut my ankle. <laughs> so he, I'm like, yeah, now that, now that I know been much, much better, nothing of that surprises me. Um, but, you know, he proceeded to give me an amazing session. He got me out of pain faster than anyone ever had. Um, I started seeing him, you know, once or twice a week. And the way he was approaching my body was quite different. And, uh, for example, a lot of the back pain, he immediately was going into my abs, you know, working on certain areas of my hip. Um, and just give me a lot more kind of corrective exercise to stabilize uh, a lot of the manual work he was doing. And it, uh, it just really stuck with me. But I think the, the thing that got me hooked was I loved the casualness of it. And I felt like he was just connecting with me as a human rather than just looking at me as kind of a, a car that drove into the shop and just needed an oil change. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just really, we really clicked. And as the weeks went on, um, you know, I realized he's, an amazing marketer, he's an amazing therapist. Uh, but you know what, what his strengths are. He also has the weaknesses in the organization department. So um, I ended up offering to help him out with some of the operations stuff in exchange for some free sessions. And you know, I was 25 years old at the time. And we, you know, I just loved business and uh, was just genuinely interested in in what he was working on. So uh, yeah, within a few months, it was pretty organic. But it got to the point where he asked me to come on as a partner and. Um, you know, it just made sense for both of us at the time. So I ended up uh, cobbling my pennies together. Uh, he had actually started my talk with another therapist who, for whatever reason, wasn't the right fit. So I ended up buying her out. And uh, at the time, like, we had no intention to grow. When I met Vin, he had 2,000 followers on Instagram. Um, you know, social media was just becoming a, a real thing from a marketing standpoint. And, you know, my thought was if I invest in this clinic and I could make my investment back within a year, you know, it would just be a nice kind of side cash flow. And then at the time, his, his whole philosophy is he just wanted to be the best therapist in the world. And, you know, he would treat all day and go home and study constantly, even though he had been out of school for six or seven years. Um, and it was cool. It was really cool to be around that. And, you know, we just <laughs> kind of naive kids, not really having any expectation of uh, the snowball that was kind of starting to form. Um, so fast forward to early 2015, we came down to check out the LA Fit Expo down in LA. Um, he started treating a few of the influencers and, and pretty quickly as these influencers um, would come up to Toronto to see him, he would treat them. They'd post, up, post this up, say, oh, this is the best clinic in Toronto. Come by, come by. And this was when Instagram was much less noisy. And all of a sudden we got, I think at the time it was, it was Vin, it was Boris, who was one of our, our physiotherapists. Um, and I think that was it. And we just started having to hire people because we were kind of double or triple booked. Um, it, it just got out of hand to a point where I was actually treating as a physiotherapy assistant, as you know, doing some corrective exercise, and uh, it it was it was a lot of fun. And I look back and we've got like pictures and videos from all these days. It was just uh, you know the epitome of a, a gritty bootstrap startup that you know really had no idea what we were into. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, fast forward, getting into end of 2015, we really started to get some momentum with social, um, started to attract more people to the team. LA just kept growing for us because there's such a big uh, social media presence down here, just, you know, with all the influencers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and we just, you know, kind of went one step at a time. So that was kind of the, the origin story of how I met Vin and, you know, I can get into how the business has progressed, but, you know, it all started from me being his patient, having pain, coming in and really falling in love with, with how he had approached uh, getting me out of pain. And from there, I just became a huge evangelist of, of what he was doing and saw an opportunity to put, you know, a little bit more of a business framework around it. And, uh, yeah, the snowball has rolled on since then. Mm-hmm. And that does definitely sound like an amazing, amazing story. And, you know, I'm sure that uh, there's a lot of people who can relate to you know, feeling that way after a certain treatment with one of their therapists they've had. And, you know, it's amazing to see that someone actually went and, uh, you know, decide to partner up with the therapist and create something like this, right? And um, in terms of innovation, right, and we always look at this industry, you know, there's definitely um, new things popping up uh, in our industry, but not as fast as, as, you know, we would like. And so, you know, my Utah's creating some of these new things that we've seen so far has been uh, bringing a breath of fresh air in terms of innovation to the industry. Now, you know, this company is being led by two very creative thinkers, uh, clearly. And, um, you know, now that you guys have more creative individuals like Niclo um, and Drew and all these individuals, um, I want to ask you first, uh, how do you define innovation? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I mean, innovation, we always look at Tesla, I think for kind of a barometer of what we're trying to do. And if you think about Tesla and you think about the automobile industry, up until they came on the scene, buying a car at a dealership was the most painful experience. And, you know, you'd go in, it would be this very, you know, there's no transparency in the process. You always feel like you're getting screwed over. You don't know if you're getting a good deal or not. And it's just not something that people looked forward to. Um, It was just kind of part of what you had to do to get to the outcome uh, that you wanted. Tesla comes through, they build these beautiful retail showrooms. They put them in areas where you would never expect to see a car dealership. They, they make it such an easy consumer buying experience where you know exactly what the tr- you know, price is. You know that you're paying the same as every single person out there. You know, if you want to customize it, it's this much money. If you want to you know, put it this color, it's this much money. And all of a sudden, because Tesla set the pace, you know, back to this word innovation, um, that the consumer behavior and the expectations in the automobile buying space have now shifted dramatically. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing other companies start to play with this retail showroom idea, doing a lot more customization. It's, it's really uh, incredible if you step back and just look at the, you know, from a macro view at the uh, auto industry of, of how Tesla, even though they're a relatively still small company within the, the bigger pool, they have shifted mm-hmm. the entire consumer behavior. And that's putting pressure on kind of old uh, giants to evolve. So back to the physical therapy industry. The challenge with, with PT is it's got a serious branding issue in the sense of the average person walking down the street has no idea what physiotherapists do. You can ask 100 different people and you're going to get a bunch of different answers. Mm-hmm. So for us, we thought a lot about what holds people back from taking care of their body. And you know, we all know, especially as millennials, and we've watched our parents' age and our grandparents' age, we're much more conscious of taking care of our body, but we don't necessarily have the tools to do it. Yeah. And for us, when we think about the industry, it's always been this very sterile medical thing. And you can think of kind of traditional PT as a grudge purchase. You got hurt, you know, you're coming out of surgery, you, you know, whatever the case was, you're, you're ending up at this place where, you know, all things being equal, you didn't want to be in the first place. Right. And for us, when we step back and look at the industry, we realize that 
to, to essentially make it cool to take care of your body, we have to do what Tesla did to the automobile industry. And what that means to us is that we need to make a super approachable clinic, you know, make it cool, make it fun. You know, when you come in and there's Drake busting on the speakers and everyone's energetic and it feels like a really collaborative team. Um, and you do that on a bigger scale. And, you know, I think that's, that's been the approach for us in terms of how do we innovate? We think about, you know, let's not look at the, the PT industry because that hasn't changed in decades. You know, a lot of the machines are still being used, the same business models are being used. Yeah. Um, let's, let's take a step back and look at the consumer landscape. And if, we're, if we are going to shift consumer behavior around how they approach their healthcare decisions, uh, it really has to be through great branding and culture and making it much more approachable um, where we can get people earlier in that funnel, you know, far before they have that acute injury and are coming in. Um, so, you know, we think a lot about how do we connect uh, people's desire to like take care of their body to preventive health behaviors because, you know, we all know there's so much you can be doing uh, early to, to prevent a lot of this stuff just through, you know, constant mobility and, and you know, regular therapy and you know, making sure that you have good health coaches, whether that's personal trainers or therapists in your corner. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. But to answer your question around innovation, I mean, that's how we think about it. I don't know if I have one clear definition other than, you know, we, we're constantly trying to do stuff that hasn't been done before. You know, coming down to L.A. was, you know, this thing kept me up at night constantly thinking how we're going to overcome regulatory issues and overcome hiring in a whole new market and, you know, supporting the market, you know, when we're in Toronto and we're opening across the entire continent. Um, there's just so many barriers. But I think, you know, we take a lot of inspiration from looking at what Tesla did. And ultimately, if you put it down on paper, what what's holding the industry from moving forward and you attack that and say, okay, one by one, you know, how do we solve this? Um, you know, it, it moves the needle. And that's kind of the, the fun in all of this, just figuring it out as you go. For sure. And Scott, I really love that example about the Tesla and how you related it to the physiotherapy industry, like super clear. Um, I just wanted to notice you related your innovation within the Maya Detox back to the company culture and how your company culture drives everything. So I was just wondering, um, how did you create and establish an amazing company culture at the Maya Detox? Um, I mean, I think culture is a a very buzzy word. Um, And I think a lot of people have different takes on it. I think how we, we think about it internally is like, there's a certain energy and magic that comes together when you put a specific group of people together. And for us, when I think about like the first kind of 10 people in our company, all of us kind of, you know, went through some hardships early in life, really, uh, I'd say have higher than average work ethic, um, really felt a drive to become the best versions of ourselves, kind of from a personal development lens. And because all of us were together with those core values and we were pushing each other, it, it kind of creates this invisible energy or this invisible uh, ocean, if you want to call it, that you know, all of the staff are swimming in. And I, I really think culture can be boiled down uh, to you know, what's, what's the collective values of the people around the mission. And for us, we've just been so fortunate with getting such amazing, like-minded people. And um, you know, one thing I'm really proud of is we're, you know, other than myself, we're completely uh, therapist-run company. You know, Nick is our Nick Lowe is our chief operating officer from Vancouver. He's been a uh, therapist for over a decade and a clinic owner for almost a decade. We've got uh, Dan, you know, the chief creative officers. 
out, you know, with a lot of the celebrities and athletes, and he's been a physical therapist for over uh, a decade. We've got Andrew Sabari, uh, our director of clinical education out in North Vancouver. He's been a therapist for almost 15 years. But the core thing I think that is the golden thread through all of us is that we just have this drive to push this industry to a better place and ultimately, you know, learn and grow as individuals and as a team through that journey. So, you know, the, I always, you know, as we go through the interview process with new therapists and new staff, we always talk about, you know, our culture is pretty intense. Like we, we push each other. There's a lot of uh, feedback mechanisms. There's a lot of opportunities for personal growth. And a lot of people can't hang with that because it's in many ways emotionally draining to always be introspective and, and trying to have self-awareness around your strengths and weaknesses. But, um, but for us, like that's been so ingrained in our culture early that um, it's kind of who we are. And, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to change at this point. And, um, I, you know, kind of advice for entrepreneurs or people that have their own clinics, I, I truly believe the first five to, you know, eight to 10 people on your team Will, will pretty much default your culture for the rest of your company. You know, across our team, we've got about 160 people now, and I can see it in every single person that's kind of stuck with us for more than three months. I see the exact same traits. And it's, it's you know, I, I can boil it down. Our culture is like the drive to become the best version of yourself. And, you know, we do that by putting so many resources, whether it's the education or just putting great people around you. Like one of our internal ethos is like, we want to create a place where you can learn from anyone. And whether that's a therapist learning from our front of health manager or, you know, our financial controller, like we, we try to create opportunities for everyone to learn outside of just the, the lane that they're playing in. Um, and that, that creates a really tight culture and kind of reinforces it. But, you know, ultimately can be, uh, you know, culture is set by the people and that's, that's it. It doesn't, doesn't matter what you sit around the table and say your culture is. It doesn't matter. You sit down and list at your core values. Um, that, that doesn't really matter. It's like, what do you, what do you guys actually doing and, and thinking and uh, kind of conversing day to day that ultimately reinforces the culture. And, uh, you know, that was an amazing answer. And I think the answer in itself really has, it's coming from a humble place. And, you know, just for our listeners, the way we kind of met you, right? Um, you know, we saw we were walking uh, out of the city place, and then you walked by and then you, you we just kind of got connected that way. Very humble process it wasn't you know you didn't make us feel like we're lesser than you or or anything like that at all and um you know and i can tell that the way you've been answering about uh, with the culture you know it does really show that you're definitely an unbelievable leader for the company and i know that based on our conversations before you have a very interesting leadership style and i think that that's definitely has served you well uh within the whole company so do you mind uh telling our listeners a little bit about that leadership style and how you think it's positively impacted the whole company and the company's culture as a whole um yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I don't know if I've defined it, but I think the, the way, you know, Nick and I talk about this a lot is, you know, what we really try to push within the team is this concept of servant leadership, which it's almost when you think of an org chart and you flip it upside down and you realize that, you know, us as, as owners and, you know, CEOs and, you know, directors, whatever, we show up to work every day to serve our people. And ultimately our, our, our people, our therapists, our guest experience team, those are our star players. Me sitting in the office, I don't, I don't do anything for the business day to day. It's every single customer interaction. So I think when it, when it comes to leadership style, it's taking, taking the mindset of like, how do I help develop my people? 
and I know, like I've been through this, um, you know, something I struggled with as the company grew was when we were 10 or 15 people, I could sit on my laptop all day long and solve a lot of problems. And I could go to bed that night feeling like, whew, I got like a lot of work done today. As we started growing, the feedback loops all of a sudden changed dramatically because now my time needs to be spent developing my team versus sitting there being an individual contributor to the work. And it's really tough. Um, if you have high work ethic, it's a really tough shift because inherently uh, it takes so much longer to see the results. And you'll get to the end of the day, having had, you know, 10 or 12 hours of, of meetings with your team, it feels like you haven't done any work. <laughs> and the reality is that that's what it takes. You have actually created a ton of value in the business. Um, but that's, that was a real challenge I faced on my leadership style as we grew. Um, and it's really pushed me to develop myself. And now I've really gotten to the point where I know that for every hour I spend with one of our team members and helping them grow or helping them think through a problem or get through a roadblock, um, you know, us as a business, we get the exponential impact of that because they're now putting in 40 hours a week for you at an elevated place or from a place that they were, uh, you know, unable to get to before. So I, you know, back to like Nick and I, we talked about this is like, how do we, how do we continually put education in place, mentorship, managers that, that facilitate the servant leadership uh, role? And I think the other part to this is, you know, never doing anything that you're not willing to do, but never asking your staff to do something you're not willing to do. You know, for example, I'm in the West Hollywood location right now. Um, and I've cleaned the washroom four times today. Just every time I go in the washroom, I'm cleaning the toilets and making sure things are perfect. And, you know, it's, it's just that attention to detail and realizing like, you know, so much, essentially business does not exist without your team. And, um, you know, one of the big reasons that Nick specifically, Nick Lowe in Vancouver is in our kind of chief operating officer role, which means he runs the business day to day is his inherent value of his team and his, you know, our people is so strong and it shines through in such a big way that, you know, that's, that's kind of the organization and Slava back to your question about culture is like, is like, this is the behavior that starts to, to reinforce the culture. Um, so I, you know, I love the concept of servant leadership and I think there's a lot of great insights in writing about this, but uh, generally speaking, that's, that's the, the framework in which we talk about leadership within the company. Hmm. And Scott, that's a great summary of how you lead and uh, how you provide an example of servant leadership. Um, the thing that you mentioned that really stuck to me just now is that your influence is only as good as your people, right? So how did you and uh, Vin attract the right people and the talent in order to grow this company and really grow the company's influence across the rehab industry? I mean, the real key is a lot of midnight dinner. <laughs> I mean, look, at, at the end of the day, people want to be part of something bigger than themselves. and and inherently, you know, there's a lot of people in our company that are kind of entrepreneurial and have had their own thing. And, you know, some have had great success with it. But at the end of the day, I think getting a group of like, like-minded people together to go and chase something crazy is just, it's so fun. And, you know, obviously we've got big goals, but whether we make it any further than we've made it to date, like the last three, four years has been so fun with so many memories. And it's like, it's almost like less about the work, but it's like we think about how much time we spend trying to problem solve together and think through, you know, what's our next step. Um, 
and very early, and I think Vin is amazing at this, Vin is so good at getting people inspired by themselves mm-hmm. and not, uh, how would I put this? I would put it that, you know, he makes people remember that they're here to chase something. And that was something I always admired about him and something he does a lot to help me as a CEO is, you know, when I've gone through the meat grinder of a week and I sit down to, you know, we always joke, we always make our, our big strategic company decisions over bubble tea. So when we sit down over some double tapioca, um, you know, and he, he just has this way of, of putting things into perspective around, you know, we're, we're really here to chase what inspires us and what we're passionate about. And passion is, you know, like a, a bug light to a mosquito. You know, when we're on fire with passion and we've been very fortunate with like our core team being so about what we're doing, um, it becomes very easy to attract the right people. And it's, uh, you know, it's so humbling. I even look at uh, some of our advisors and investors and mentors that we've been able to generate even just in the last 12 months. Um, it floors me sometimes when I actually stop and think about it. But you know, ultimately it comes down to when, when you are truly on fire with something, it just, uh, it's a lot easier to get the right people around you. And then, you know, on top of that too, it's like have a, a clear mission and vision. Like it's, it's one thing to be wildly passionate, but um, there's a lot of eccentric, passionate people out there, but don't really have a, a framework of how they're going uh, to go from point A to B. Um, so for us, I think a lot of this is like passion tempered with strategy. And I, you know, one reason I think Ben and I have been great business partners is we're on opposite ends of the spectrum and in regards to, you know, Vin is wildly visionary and creative and, you know, he'll come to me and be like, we should do this. And, you know, my immediate reaction is like, oh my God, how are we ever going to do this? And then, you know, I think about it. I think about the framework of, you know, if I was to try to do that, how would I do that? And, you know, over time, I think um, we've come to a really great working relationship where, um, you know, it, it has become passion tempered with strategy. Mm-hmm. That does sound like a an amazing partnership there. You know, lots of complementing, complementing each other in terms of at least your styles of approaching different ideas as well. So it does sound like you guys are, you know, it's, it's a great fit and at the top of the company that really does show uh, throughout the company as well. Now, you did mention um, a little bit about uh, the funders and uh, just investors. Um, and no, we did, we know recently, you know, you've secured uh, not a s- small amount of money, about $2 million of um, angel investing. Um, so how do you approach something like that, being a healthcare company? How do you give that Dragon's Den pitch or the Shark Tank pitch to these individuals and show them what the bread and butter of uh, myo detox is and how uh, and why they should invest, essentially? Um, where to begin? <laughs> so I think, I mean, I'll, I'll preface this with saying that um, we bootstrapped everything for the first three, almost three and a half years. And Vin and I barely paid ourselves for two and a half years. Like we were both max line of credit, max credit cards. Um, it was like brutal. And we actually had an investor in like late 2016 um, offer. Uh, he, he basically made us an offer of a million dollars to buy 15% of the company and we had some other strings attached, but um, great investor just really fell in love with what we were doing, wanted us to expand to the U S faster, you know, wanted to, to get us into, you know, Hawaii, San Francisco and a couple of the markets really fast um, because it was so complimentary to some of his other businesses. And that was the hardest decision for us ever because 
at the time we were just dying financially and you know we were uh i would say unmeasured just because we're we're so new to business we just kept putting every dollar back into growing it and you know the we've had pressure on us to grow fast because the marketing and the brand had developed so quickly so we were trying to constantly play catch up with the business um so you know we we actually end up coming to that investment decision early and having to face the decision of like when do we take on money or when do we take any investment um you know and rick uh i'm sure you guys know rick lau from uh, former pt health days but um he was probably one of the first people i, I spoke with that like, was able to give me some context for you know, as he shared some of his story, um, kind of pros and cons of, of taking money and when to do that. But at that time, I didn't, I didn't really know a lot of people that had raised money for the business, but I didn't have a framework for how to, how to decide is this good or is this bad. But, you know, Vin and I ultimately, after sitting on it for a week, we negotiated the whole deal and we ended up sitting on the final deal um, for a week and ended up turning it down. And it just felt right. Like to us, it felt like if we had taken that money, we would have lost some control of the business. We didn't feel like we were ready to hit the accelerator at all. Like we just were still very early in figuring out the business model. Um, but that's, you know, it's kind of a lesson to other entrepreneurs is there is so much money out there and there's a lot of, I'll call it dumb money where, you know, a dollar is not just a dollar because, you know, one dollar can come to attach with uh, an overly controlling, overly opinionated person that could come uh, attached to somebody that just doesn't care about your business whatsoever and is just looking for the return. Uh, or it could come attached to somebody that's incredible and can be a great mentor and advisor. So, um, you know, when you're evaluating to take investment, it's, it's a huge decision. So for us, we kind of carried on um, up until last summer. And uh, we've been fortunate. We've developed a ton of relationships in you know, New York and uh, L.A. and some, some bigger cities in the U.S. Um, and we just started educating ourselves a lot on, like, if we were to start moving faster, what's, like, the next logical step? And it got to a point where our, you know, kind of our vision and our ambitions were, were growing so quickly that we couldn't move as fast as we needed to just by waiting on cash flow to accumulate from existing clinics. Um, so, you know, we made the decision and, uh, you know, we didn't go out with a, a pitch deck and started like hitting up all these venture capital firms. And I think there is, there is a lot of, uh, a lot of people struggle to raise money because they go at it very in a transactional way. For us, every single uh, investor we brought on, we've had a prior relationship with. Um, you know, we've brought on some C-level executives from SoulCycle, Equinox, Flywheel, uh, Core Power Yoga. Uh, you know, just people that have had a lot of experience in the consumer space, um, as well as some personal investors or sorry, personal mentors of mine. Um, and it's been incredible. We've, we've really learned day in and day out. Um, from people that have opened, you know, 50 to 100 locations before, or have managed a team of a thousand to three thousand people, and um, these were were hard won lessons. So for us, the investment round, the money was a little bit more of a an afterthought in a sense, and it was more about getting some of the key people and key wisdom we wanted around us um, tighter in the fold with us. Um, I know you asked like how you know how to approach investors. I, I'd say. Um, I think a lot of people do it wrong. So two, two, two things to this. One is you should only take money when you're ready to step on the gas a little bit. And most businesses are so far from that. I think there's, there's a lot of celebration around raising money, which um, I think is, is outdated because, or sorry, is, is misguided. Because if you're celebrating having to sell part of your company um, to, to basically keep going, it just, it's not a fun feeling. 
-hmm. And for us, it was great. I, I think it was a great experience for us. I feel like we've got a lot of the right people in place. Uh, we didn't take a single dollar of dumb money, which I would call money, which doesn't bring wisdom and experience and connections. But, um, but I think there's a, there's a right time to raise money. And for us, it was when we're about to enter the U.S. We know that we have to make a big splash here and we can't, we can't cut corners here. So we need to make sure that we have the room to move financially here. Um, so it was the right time. But I think in general, a lot of people raise money way too quickly. And I think there needs to be proof of concept and like, the number one goal, if you're less than a million dollars of revenue a year, you know, not just in healthcare, but in any business, like you should be able to go and sell and build organic revenue up until that million dollars. And at that point, you have a lot more uh, understanding of the business. You understand, you know, you've had some discipline around your financials and you've had to probably hopefully bleed a little bit and, and understand the pain of like what it takes to earn a dollar. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's what I've noticed time and time again about, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs in my network and the, the people I think that raise money early um, become very undisciplined with their spending and, and their resource allocation. Um, and it's just, it's just too easy to go down this rabbit hole of thinking the solve for all problems is more money. So by us staying bootstrapped for so long, it made us very gritty, very resourceful. Uh, you know, we figured out how to solve problems very efficiently. Um, you know, but it gets to a point where at a certain point, uh, if you are trying to do something within a meaningful time frame, like you're going to have to take money on. Um, but the last piece of advice would be if you are going to approach investors, it should be organic relationship driven, have meetings with them first. And you know, one thing I did was we were meeting with private equity companies and other investors and we'd sit down and say, Hey, you know, here's what we're trying to do. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think the challenges are going to be as we scale this. Like what are we going to run into that we're not seeing over the next 12 to 24 months? Right. Or I'd ask questions of like, you know, if you were to invest in this in two to three years, what would the red flags be for you? And very openly, like these guys were sharing such amazing information. So I, I really like going into kind of mentorship meetings or investor meetings with that mindset. And I think it's an old adage when you, when you want money, ask for advice. And when, when you want advice, ask for money. And I think that's 100% mm -hmm. uh, true. Mm -hmm. And Scott, that was an amazing summary and like just uh getting your personal touch of the journey into that whole uh explanation about the investors but we just wanted to wrap up the podcast by asking like that story about how you got a million dollars almost um presented to you and you were not making any money that must have been really tough to lay down but uh what was your biggest challenge throughout your journey thus far with my detox Oh man, the right to talk for days on that one. Um, there's just, I think any business, not just with ours, but I can, I can talk firsthand on ours. Any business that looks like it's got a very smooth growth curve and everything is just like going well, it's just a complete um, optical illusion. There is so many fires along the way. And especially as your team grows, you know, for example, I know just at the size of our team, at least one or two things will go wrong every single day. And I, I think in the, you know, two locations, three locations, you know, there's some sometimes breaks where everything's just moving really smoothly. Um, and it starts to delude you thinking that things are, you know, there's this utopia where things are always going to be smooth. Um, but the reality is it's just, it is so messy. And, you know, I can tell you about the time where we, you know, we're trying to move too fast recklessly and we had two build-outs going on at the same time at the end of 2016. And we got to a point where both projects ran over budget, both projects got delayed, 
contractors calling me saying, I need another $100,000 to finish this. We're almost tapped out in the bank account. So I had to go raise like over $100,000 in five days, um, just in debt funding, just to make sure we could finish these projects. And I had never done that before. So like, that was a pretty rough week. Um, you know, we've had, <laughs> oh, man, I've, I've got a list, but um, just anything that can go wrong will go wrong. I mean, that, that particular kind of end of the year was really tough. Um, having to let some people go, especially if they're, they're friendly with you. Um, you know, it just, it, it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of, um, have a really strong compass for what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, I think to, to make it through these challenges, um, off the top of my head, I think, you know, there's all, especially as you're trying to grow at the speed we're growing, you know, the financial management, financial pressure is always there. The people management, especially as you're adding a lot of people to the team, you know, you think of every single person has desires, they have their own fears and frustrations and their own personalities. You know, people respond to all sorts of different leadership challenges or sorry, leadership styles differently. So uh, I, I think the, the two main challenges we've ran into is um, one is people and making sure that we've got the right team to support each other and kind of the right servant leadership culture. And you know, that takes constant adjustment. Um, you know, even in the last two or three weeks, we had to, to let somebody go off the team that you know, had just started with us and, and seemed like a very strong fit. Um, but quickly we saw, I don't know if you guys have read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, um, the whole paradox, or sorry, the whole contrast between a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. We saw very quickly that um, he or she had a pretty tight fixed mindset. And because of the pace that we're going, we're changing stuff constantly. And while that person was a great culture fit, they weren't the right uh, fit for the team uh, in the long term. So we had to make you know, a hard and fast decision. So there's just endless challenges and, and endless stressors. But to me, I look back and the things that uh, wore us down a year ago are, you know, we take it in stride now. And I, I've really been taking a lot of satisfaction with seeing how much of our team has, has grown. Uh, you know, I look at Kevin Mary show, who's a, a chiropractor and our regional director for Toronto. And he was like employee number three or four with us um, now managing the entire Toronto region single-handedly and just watching his leadership grow and how he hits day-to-day challenges that would have even put me on the ground two years ago. And he's able to take that in stride now. Um, that's, that's the most satisfying part of this. So yeah, it's, uh, all challenges, there's kind of never ending, but um, yeah, that's the quick context of that. And, you know, it sounds like you really, um, you were definitely able to embody the growth mindset throughout this whole journey. And, and we definitely have read the, the book mindset twice, actually, for myself, personally. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing book. Um, you know, now that uh, we're kind of approaching to the end of the podcast, and we appreciate all the things that you've shared. And you know, this past like, 40, 50 minutes, you know, we've been able to learn a ton from you, even more than we've already uh, learned from you already. Um, and now since we're on the topic of books, you know, we do often ask our, uh, our guests to name a book that has really impacted them, especially in their career and their business career. Um, would you mind sharing us what book that has impacted you the most and, and why? Yep, for sure. So a book I've been recommending the most lately is actually not a business book, but it's a, a fantasy book called mm-hmm. The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> um, A, the book is amazing, but B, it's more of a lot of the, the values that, that come from the book. 
and I'll preface this with saying that I'm a voracious reader. Ever since I was young, I, you know, have on average probably read at least a book a week, uh, and sometimes kind of up to two or three books a week. And I just love learning and, you know, taking in perspectives and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm going to give some advice, which is more catered, I think, to kind of people that are entrepreneurs or, or looking to eventually get into business. Is that uh, something I struggle with is how much garbage is kind of sold out there. And I think especially in kind of the Instagram age, like everybody is now a business expert and, you know, a business coach and all this stuff. And I, I got really into reading personal development and self-help books and psychology. And, and there's some really awesome books out there, but there's also a ton of books that I think create a lot of delusion and a lot of um, misunderstanding around how to develop yourself. And I, you know, I definitely found through my like early to mid twenties, I was so absorbed in trying to become better at business. And I was kind of consuming everything that I almost found, uh, I forgot who I was. And the thing is when you're reading all these books, each person is kind of pushing their impression of the world on you. And if you are educating yourself constantly, it's very easy to get sucked into all of a sudden having 15 new perspectives in your mind over the last six months. And you know, I just found myself kind of parroting phrases that, you know, would sound great when they came out of my mouth, but I would stop myself and be like, is that what I really believe? Mm-hmm. And, you know, over the last year, year and a half, I've actually stopped reading almost all business books. And I'm back to reading what I love, which is like fantasy and some science fiction and some stuff that really challenges me to be more creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and this book, specifically The Way of Kings, you know, why I love it is it's actually an amazing story around uh, coming into your own and sticking to your values and realizing that there's so many forces in the world that are trying to pull you away from being who you actually are. And I find this so much in business. Um, you know, I, I meet a lot of entrepreneurs that, you know, when you're trying to be impressive and tell the world how much you've done, uh, it's, you know, that's kind of the world we live in in Instagram. But for me, that just doesn't resonate. And, you know, my friend and I always joke about the content of like, stealth wealth like we don't want anyone to know what we're doing or what we've done <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's fun to think that way because it's kind of contrarian based on you know what the, the oversharing society we're in um, so that book specifically though is is one I've recommended a lot um, I'll throw one other book in there uh, there's a sci-fi trilogy called the three body problem it's all about uh, physics and space and, and what would happen if we had contact with an alien race. Not that they came here, but just that we had some sort of proof that they existed. And it, it is one of the best trilogies I've ever read in terms of shifting my mindset and thinking about the future and thinking about technology. And uh, yeah, both those series are, are basically my two favorites ever. Mm-hmm. And Scott, when you uh, send us that book, we were really wondering why. Uh, the <laughs> fantasy book out of all, all the business books out there. But now we know the answer <laughs> um it's been an amazing podcast thank you so much for coming on but uh just for our listeners uh where can we find you on social media and how can some of our listeners get in touch with you if they have any questions uh for sure so two things one is for me personally um you can find me on instagram at scott s-c-o-t-t mark m-a-r-k-k two k's um i'm usually download instagram once a month to post <laughs> Once a month, I'm not super active, but you can find me on there. Uh, any questions, you can email me at scott at mildytalks.com. Uh, and I love talking about business. I'm always happy to you know, offer opinions or words of advice if, uh, 
anyone needs help with anything, just, you know, in general, we're, we're trying to make this industry as on point as possible and kind of fix its reputation in a way. So uh, any way I can help other clinic owners or, or therapists, I'm always, always down to chat. Um, but my second, my bigger ask and where I would direct you is actually to our careers page on MyODetox. Um, we just released a three minute video called Inside MyODetox that's on that page. Um, it features Vin, uh, sorry, Vin, Nick, and Drew, um, our director of clinical education, just talking about what we're trying to do as a company and our mission and vision. Um, and I think in those three minutes, it's going to give uh, a lot more context for, for what we uh, are aiming to do with the industry and how we're trying to shift it. Um, so that would be the, the first stop, I think, after this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and definitely recommend uh, everybody see that video as well. We we got a chance to already uh, watch the video. It's amazing, beautiful production. Thank you so much, Scott, for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're super busy, um, you know, especially with the shift to LA. Um, hopefully we have you back for another episode, but we're going to wrap it up here. And uh, thank you again. Hope you have a great day today. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time.